0: Orphaned at age 10 by a violent home invasion, Susanna Faulkner grew up wild, her stubbornness the only thing harder than her heart. Since then, she's used her skills to put a boot in the faces of those who deserve it.
1: She knows she's wired wrong, but she's determined to wring something decent from the world before she leaves it. Never Go Home from Christopher Swan drops August 9th bra. Oh. Welcome to Moments of Truth, the show about my favorite moments from my favorite things. I'm Bill Coffin, and today we'll be discussing what is probably the most influential, successful, and acclaimed series of post-apocalypse movie franchises ever made, Mad Max. The Mad Max franchise started in 1979, when emergency room doctor-turned-director George Miller scraped together some money to make a grindhouse movie that mashed up the car chase, revenge, and horror genres Based on the gruesome vehicular accident injuries he witnessed in the ER and also based on the number of friends he lost while growing up in Australia's backcountry with its drag racing and daredevil hot rod culture. The result was Mad Max. The story of a highway police officer who tangles with a bloodthirsty motorcycle gang in a dystopian near future version of Australia. Shot on a shoestring budget and more than a little rough around the edges, Mad Max still found a global audience that thrilled to Miller's oddball vision of a high-octane society on the edge of total collapse. Mad Max earned $100 million off of the $350,000 it took to make it and held the world record for the most profitable movie ever made until 1999, when it was superseded by the Blair Witch Project. The Road Warrior, also known as Mad Max 2, followed in 1981 and springboarded its lead, Mel Gibson, into global superstardom mad max beyond thunderdome followed in 1985 with gibson coming back once again this time against singing legend tina turner by this time the mad max franchise had to become a cultural watermark of the 1980s but the next movie mad max fury road didn't come out until 30 years later in 2015 by which time a world without water seemed like a more pressing nightmare scenario than one without gasoline Although tonally different from its three predecessors, Fury Road has been praised as a modern action cinema masterpiece, earning six Technical Academy Awards. No matter which Mad Max movie is your favorite, there's no denying how deeply these movies have altered the course of cinema itself. It is no stretch to say that the enormous number of post-apocalypse adventure movies that have come out since the early 1980s are a direct result of the path that Mad Max blazed for them. Filmmakers from Guillermo del Toro and David Fincher to Robert Rodriguez and James Cameron have all cited the deep influence that these movies have had on them, as have had many other creators. Political, subversive, brutal, heroic, thrilling, and weird, the Mad Max movies occupy a unique place in film history and within the imaginations of its legions of fans. These are easily some of my very favorite movies for a number of reasons, and I'm thrilled to talk about them now. So let's get into it. With me today is Chris Goose Crenshaw. Howdy, folks. Doof Warrior Tom Hespos, that's Pete, <laughs> and another hero we don't need Joe Pace.
2: Me say you do.
1: <laughs> I love it. Um, all right, so we're going to go kind of in roughly chronological order this time around. I think Chris, I know your moment of truth comes from the the very first movie of the series, Mad Max. So why don't you set us off into what your moment of truth is in this movie? Give us a quick you know background as to where it falls in the movie and and what is you love so much about it
3: it's not a post apocalyptic tale particularly it's it's like a it's like a slow apocalyptic tale it's it, mid apocalyptic it, it, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's in the <laughs> middle of a collapse so so there's yeah. still society you know like max max's house still has flowers in it there are hospitals but it's the story of traffic conditions <laughs> and and general lawlessness that actually are not all of that all that horrifying these days they're they're they're, they're closer to normal now I mean, we've 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 all seen chases on, on YouTube, like you see in these these, mo- these movies, right? Truth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, truth. Less guns usually, yeah. But I mean, certainly in Los Angeles, we've seen Knight Rider level car right? chases. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I saw just just this week, I saw a footage of a, a wreck in Pennsylvania uh, where a woman flipped her car onto the roof of a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> Uh, going a hundred miles an hour plus, I think Scott. plus plus in like a an urban area. Whoa! And she had a baby in the car. Oh. The baby was fine, <laughs> not a scratch on it. Walking down the middle of the road. Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> it, it, we live, We we don't live that far. This is not <laughs> that far in the future. It's all in yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, it, it's a story of a, a, a cop who has to chase down a cop killer, basically. This guy called the Night Rider has has killed a cop and is on a, this high speed rampage across Australia and Highway Patrol is being called out to intercept him one by one. they're They're failing, They're going down until, you know we, we finally get uh, Goose and uh, Max Rakitansky on the case. It's a really 70s oriented, hard bitten, gritty pot boiler in a lot of ways. I mean it's a revenge yeah. tale ultimately. It's
2: midnight Cowboy, you yeah. know, uh I,
3: you know, I, I feel like Mad Max grew into Officer Riggs from Lethal Weapon when, when he got a sense of humor, but also into the Punisher. Like like I, I think like this is a big reference point for a lot of anti-heroes. I'll get to my moment of truth of near the end of the film. This all goes very slow. Max's wife and, and toddler child are, are killed by this motorcycle gang uh, out for revenge or for the Night Rider. And it, it's just this awful car chase, you know, frenetic scene that, that ends with, you know, just a hint of violence, you know, a child's shoe bouncing across the road and landing. In the midst of all these stunts and whatnot, it's this really stark human thing yeah. that, that, you know, it's, not, it's hardly artful, but it's really effective in, in this context. And, you know, it, it marks this change in, in Max's character. He's no longer a cop from this point forward. He's, he's something else. He, and this is what makes him into the kind of person that can go out into the world of the Road Warrior and survive. When we were talking about these movies before the show, Joe brought up that it feels like a horror film, and it does. It does have a little, little slashery kind of feeling. I, yeah. I would also reference well John Carpenter in in general, yeah, but but also RoboCop. I th- there I, RoboCop. I think owed a ton to this movie. Oh There's yeah, a lot, a lot of lot of little in jokes and and yeah and, and uh, just the sense of humor of it all is is. I don't know, it really it brought that whole greasy Robocop feel to me. Um,
2: yeah. I, I would say, Chris, that Max starts down the road of going outside the law when his, his partner Goose gets th- cooked.
3: Fair, fair. But but I, I chose the moment with the, that was more visually arresting. No, 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 no. And I agree <laughs> with you.
2: But, like, I, I agree with you. He, he does the whole, and you mentioned the whole um, you know, Mel Gibson character from Lethal Weapon. Like, it's almost beat for beat when he hands in his badge to Fifi. Right. In Mad Max, it's that's a lethal weapon scene
3: and, of and like oh I'm God, not a cop this tonight. Scene.
2: This is personal. Like oh okay. It, it, uh, it, you know.
3: that, that scene is hilarious. It, it has no place in 1979. It, the, the the police chief no. is you know a big muscly guy with a handlebar mustache who's flamboyantly gay.
2: He's right out of YMCA. Yeah, no, he's
3: and, right out and, of the list. And, and and yet he's not played for laughs in that no. way. Straight up. And and it's not it's not like he's mincing around. He's just he's proud of who he is and he doesn't that's have the, to hide it.
2: That's yeah. an Australian sensibility. That's like a, that's a non-American Australian sensibility, right? right? Like yeah. this movie is. There's a slow burn that happens to this. You got, it's only in the last 20 minutes that Gibson's character becomes Mad Max. Right. Like prior yeah. to that, he's just a guy trying to navigate this world. Like he's, he's actually There's trying money in the hospital. You know, he's trying yeah. not to be Mad Max. He's trying to be a yeah. good husband and father. He's trying to just navigate this world. And and, and he, he's just trying to get a replacement tire. And hey. his wife's getting ice cream. Like it, it, it plays. Like 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 a slasher film, where she's wandering to the beach and in the woods, and and you know there's bad guys. When's it
0: gonna come? When's it gonna
2: come? Yeah,
3: (laughs) the 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 dread of this movie is astounding. It's there's there's a lot of reasons I liken it to RoboCop. There there are a lot of moments like that. Dread is exactly right for this film
2: because you know, especially for me, like I never, I think I watched this movie for the first time prepping for this because. I was four years old in 1979. So, yeah, I never saw Mad Max originally. But, like, I know his wife and kid aren't around come Road Warrior and Thunderdome, so some, yeah. some bad stuff is going to go down. <laughs> I know this is happening. Yeah. And, and I'm just waiting for it, waiting for it. And I know that there's going to be, you know, bad things that happen to his family that propel him into being the character that he becomes. And so there's this suspenseful dread that permeates it. This is a suspenseful film and, and bill you've used the word grindhouse like there there's a lot of of, of grittiness and reality yeah. to it for all the all that this launched gibson into stardom this and and the subsequent movies he's kind of secondary the to world. the uh well just yeah just just everything that happens around him the setting and and the events yeah. he's kind of a passenger joe guy.
3: i i i love i love what you're saying and and I, w- I would i would take it further and say that you know as the pieces of Max's life are knocked away from him. That that is the apocalypse, as far as he's concerned.
2: Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so you, say
0: yeah, so like, though, that like had it just stopped at his partner getting you know knocked off, he like would have just kept going and he would have had a nice life with his you know his wife, right. son, yeah. and then your you know whatever the kid's name is. I forget already. It took that to happen to turn him into a character that you could then have you know all these great sequels yeah. with
3: cause... and 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 it, it's chilling because you know he he doesn't you know he stops being a cop as, as he tells fifi of course but he becomes kind of he becomes a murderer a hunter yeah. and, in, in a and there's a moment where where at the gas station where this all started the, the toe cutters motorcycle gang it's diminished motorcycle gang has stopped there they go in and when Toe Cutter comes back out, he lifts up his helmet, and photos of Goose and Max's wife and child fall out. Yeah. Max is stalking them. That is the dark, yeah. dark yeah. stuff, man. That's Batman. Really? That's yeah. what that <laughs> yeah. is.
0: And,
1: and 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 that's the first time the movie we see Toe Cutter look unsettled. I mean, yeah. Toe- and Toe Cutter, who's a great bad guy, because he's so. He's so smoothly unhinged, like, like 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 the actor kind of switched up his accent during the course of the movie because he wanted him to to seem like he was like bebopping between different mindsets the entire time, you know? And he's just so not the bad guy you'd expect for a movie of this feel and this type. He's so psychotic. It seems like nothing bothers him. And then, but that, that, like you see, he looks up and he's like, oh, crap. <laughs> it's like, that's when you realize how things have really turned. Like when toe cutters freaked out, you're like. Bad things
2: Uh-oh. are about to, about to I unfold. I get yeah. a huge clockwork orange feel from Toe Cutter.
3: Right? Like when you talk yeah. about like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah.
2: absolutely. Like he's sure. outside of society. And and, and, and he's
3: completely cultured and he can be reasonable. Urbane. Yeah. Urbane. Yeah. urbane. Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: Okay. And to the point where, like, when when the old lady is like, my favorite character in this movie is the old lady at the end with the shotgun who intimidates awesome. the living crap out of this yeah. gang and is like, and and she basically is the school mom who reverts them all to childhood and says, get in that barn. They're like, Oh, okay. She, she reveals that they're all a joke. The end of this movie, this movie ends with him torturing a member of the gang.
3: Yeah. And he's the boy, by the way, uh, who I, I've checked multiple times throughout my life and I'm still not sure he's not played by Adam Ant
2: here's the hacksaw <laughs> yeah, right. you might be able to saw through this chain you know through your your handcuffs or maybe your arm yeah see you later like <laughs> holy crap that guy just went sideways hard
0: holy yeah. crap like, it's, it's the entire saw franchise he just created right there <laughs> <laughs> but
2: like but like max has like he's lost his connection to humanity and that plays yeah. out throughout their next three movies absolutely he's out he's just that. trying to In find it again yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, He doesn't care about hurting anybody anymore. Like, if you're a bad guy, you did this to yourself, pal. I ain't going to stop it.
1: What I like so much about all this is how well it got set up with his resignation conversation with Fifi. And he's he's like, I got to get out. And Fifi's like, no, come on. Like, we need heroes. We need guys out there just kicking ass and taking names. We don't need another hero. This is the gay guy.
2: (laughs) Yeah, 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 (laughs) yeah, right?
1: Yeah, Fifi's pretty awesome. I love him. He's like, there are rules we have to play by. However we like to think of them more as guidelines. Like he's very okay with his guys just going out. And like, 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 that's where the like, world is now. Well, like Charlie and Roop, those two idiots who like crash their car three times in the opening scene, trying to chase, you know, a Night Rider. Okay. Like they don't, <laughs> they don't get written up. They don't get yelled at. Phoebe's like, I don't like point is Night Rider's is a smear on the highway. Well done. Okay. Let's move on. Like he doesn't care. The way Max is like, no dude, I'm hanging by a thread here and I'm going to become just like them. Fifi's like, ah, just take a couple of days off. it will be fine. Fifi and Goose and all those guys, they're really not that far removed from Toe Cutter's gang. They just happen to have uniforms and badges, right? And they're right. just like, they're door-riding
3: on the right side of the log. That's why we think of right? Clockwork Courage, right? Right? <laughs> um, well, and, and Fifi that, says...
2: As long as the paperwork is squared away, you guys do whatever you want. Yeah, do
3: whatever you want. You <laughs> that know?
2: line stuck with you. Good paperwork. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Exactly. Right. You know? Like as long as all the paperwork's done,
0: don't <laughs>
1: you know, have at it. But Max is hanging by a thread, and nobody sees it except for Max. You feel kind of sad for it. Like I, when I watch it again, when they go off on that vacation, knowing what's going to happen, I feel really bad for him because it's like yeah. he is—he's living on a short fuse, and he's trying. He's trying to hang on, you know, the world takes it from him. He, you know, he, he really, he really gets, gets, it gets, you know, when his
2: wife goes to the beach, the entire time of her walking to the beach, her being on the beach, you're just coming back from the beach. Like you are just, you are just waiting for the shoe to drop. Yeah. Like, and, and for me, (laughs) watching it the first time, like he lets her go. And you know it's a bad choice for him it's to her. It's a yelling go. at the
3: screen moment. Yeah,
0: everybody <laughs> did everything unsupervised on in 1979. I mean, come on. Oh my god! Right,
3: it's true. That's why. That's why slash flicks are a thing. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. I mean,
2: <laughs> but like, Good. bang the beat for beat for yeah. beat of her walking yeah. out there. Like it's it's a it's a Friday the Thirteenth movie for it's about 20 yeah. minutes.
3: Yeah, yeah no, no, it definitely is. Uh, th- the thing that we really have to talk about, though, with Mad Max is shoestring budget. I mean, it was made oh. for, I don't know, something ridiculous like $350,000. 350000 or so, yeah. Like, uh, Toe Cutter's gang was an actual biker gang that they paid in beer. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, Toe Cutter, by the way, was played by Hugh Ks Byrne, who also plays Immortan Joe in Fury Road, yes. should be noted. And no lo- loved to recycle actors in this whole series. And well, he-, he recycled a lot of stuff for Fury yeah. Road, man. Yes, he Beautifully so to he also played mr stubb in the 1998 usa moby dick miniseries
0: really? look at that well,
3: something for me there
0: yeah um you always find a way to freaking loop it back i know
1: it's, a, it's always i know I, we're talking about a series of movies that are in the deepest deepest australian desert and still chris has to bring it back to the ocean there's somehow, a whale right? there's, there's, a, a, whale.
3: Whale there's there. a whale in this exactly <laughs> so, so. But, but i mean they, yeah. like uh, the uh Max's uh, V8 interceptor, the last of the V8 interceptors, yeah. is it's a Ford Falcon. It's it's heavily modified and actually probably pretty fast. The bikes, uh, you yeah, know, this this was like at the filmed at the very nadir of of Harley Davidson's existence. The LAPD for its traffic cops was buying Moto Guzzis from Italy. That's how bad Harley Davidson was. Can we, can we say by the way, Chris,
2: <laughs> that like his car is the only character to appear in all four movies? Like oh, that's true. In the, in I don't know how movie, yeah. his car is all he cares about. Like yeah. he's like going along and he's like, that's my car. <laughs> that's
1: my car. Yeah. <laughs> they spent three times as much money building that car for Mad
3: Max. And they did paying Neil Gibson to be in the movie. <laughs> I, I I think that's probably true. Yeah. They, they put a lot into that car. Yeah. And, and I understand that the motorcycles, which were all, uh, uh, Kawasaki Z one thousands or KZ one thousands, which were, they were awesome for the day. Just, Absolutely badass. Yeah. Um. Not what you think of as a, a dirt bike, but you know you can make anything to a scrambler. Ultimately, um, <laughs> th- this movie is is like seminal for gearheads oh, yeah. and uh, and stunt fans. There's a yeah. stunt where a guy pole vaults onto a a, a rolling track tanker trailer. It, it, it's like, yeah, and this is like 1978 or nine like like, what what can they possibly be doing to make him safe that's not safe no not 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 since like
1: the 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 not since like the buster keaton like these actors might actually die movies in the 1920s like the silent year did you see stunts that people were so willing to take chances with their life to make a good shot for the movie dude? and the the movie's just filled with that
3: which is one stunt man gets in the head by a flipping bike like a whole ass motorcycle but how, how And ironic. they left it in the movie. He, yeah. he could have died. But how <laughs> ironic is
1: it that this is a movie inspired by George Miller's like traumatic visions of what happens to people when they get scraped on the road in the ER. I'll make a movie about road rage. And and by the way, let's just see if we can replicate some of these accidents that inspired <laughs> the movie in the first place. I mean, it's kind of nuts.
2: There's a wonderful scene where the, the mechanic who works for the Highway yeah. Patrol, who's working on the car, and Mel Gibson and Goose come in, and they're like look at this thing. And the guy's like, rrr, rrr, he's like revving the engine and everything. And, 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 and Gibson's like, oh, that looks awesome. Like, when can we get that thing out on the road? And there's like this, like there's the car porn is there from right, right from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. Every
0: single car guy I knew like was, the debates were like back and forth about like it just set off so much discussion with the gearheads yeah. that you know like you could tell who the fans were right away like I, I remember vividly you know with the road warrior a lot of people having conversations about like oh man you can't have a supercharger that you flip on with a switch like that's the, <laughs> the, the, the you know, like, gearhead friends are arguing back and forth yeah. about this like in my prep for this I had to go and look to see like is it possible and they're like yeah you know somebody did make a supercharger with a magnetic clutch where you could have wired it to a switch so like it wasn't widespread but it could have happened but uh <laughs> we, we were talking about that like before the before we got on about you know how like if you if you start to dissect this movie too much like it immediately falls apart so like your best bet is to just not try to dissect every
3: little thing this out. one less than any of them in my opinion <laughs> Like ah, I think that is less true, true of like, Mad Max. Right. Dude, Mad Max, you know, I think, is the Road, By that
0: time, own. you have like these open engine things with like six freaking air cleaners. Yeah, hanging yeah you them. just like, oh, yeah makes any sense at all. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah.
3: But yeah, once you reach does- Fury Road, you're taking a lot on faith. <laughs> yeah, Mad yeah. Max yeah.
2: does hang closest to our reality. Right. Like I mean, it's <laughs> it, it, it Well, because shares- so much of it
1: was filmed with found objects, so I mean, they couldn't really take too many liberties because they're actually like do this motorcycle on this actual motorcycle this is not on this actual motorcycle
2: as much it shares the most dna with our timeline it makes it the scariest of them and yeah yeah because yeah it, yeah it's yeah. the most as terrible yeah. as weird as this is to say it's the most realistic of them
1: well it, yeah it gives us our clearest glimpse of what life could look like if things go sideways sufficiently and it's and, the, the, it's the as, as science fiction it's credible Chris, anything else on the shoestring budget that the miraculous amount of movie they made on the
3: parsimonious budget? This thing had. Yes. One on? more thing. Thank you, Bill. You got uh, it. Goose Max's partner rides this motorcycle. And now, now look, I don't understand why Mad Max has a thing for motorcycles because as chase vehicles, they're a terrible idea. Yeah, they're they're <laughs> they're great for desert scouting, no doubt. But but you know, one brush and you're dead. But they had to have a special. They they needed a hero bike you can for Goose. catch somebody
0: sure but what do you do once you get there
3: right. <laughs> stop I said <laughs> exactly. we will see what happens to the two wheeled guys. Yeah. Well, Goose needed a hero bike, so so they took one of these Kawasaki KZ 1000s, and they were looking. They wanted to get a custom fairing made for it, and they they painted up silver, and they they eventually found this manufacturer that was doing them for other bikes, and it could just fit. and and they put that together you can still buy that kit to make your bike look like goose's bike and you really and i think that's cool
1: Uh, that is cool as hell i'm (laughs) that is really cool that way that way if if ever you lay down the bike and you just go i don't know man i
2: just got here myself
1: (laughs) goose is so cool goose is so cool well like we're gonna move on to the next one and that's gonna be the next installment in the in, in the story. So it's Mad Max 2 or The Road Warrior. So this is the one I picked. The Road Warrior is just oh gosh, it is just probably one of my top 10 favorite movies of all time. I just saw it so many times when I was growing up. It just it just hits this this vibe for me. I really really love it. But in The Road Warrior, it's a, it's a proper sequel to Mad Max and that it's a couple years later and Max is just, you know, taking his interceptor gone deep into the wasteland where society has well and truly fully collapsed. There's no ice cream out here, right? He's just living as a scavenger off, you know, the corpse of the old world, right? Just going around and just sort of fighting road gangers on the highways and picking up gas out of, you know, overturned vehicles. And, you know, he comes across a couple of different folks and finds this little refinery kind of out in the middle of nowhere that's manned by this group of people who are under siege by this large group of completely bonkers marauders on wheels led by this guy named the humongous who instantly lord humongous at both and who 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 quickly establishes himself as one of my favorite sci-fi villains of all time and i think my moment my moment of truth in this movie somebody put some pants on that guy Right, what dude, all the bad guys in the movie are pants optional, right? And is, this whole movie is
3: pants optional. There's a lot of but, assless
2: chaps,
1: yeah, there's a, the lot of, yeah, exactly. a lot of, yeah, exactly.
3: A lot of things to find intimidating there.
1: <laughs> the Road Warrior is like it's a very streamlined but very action packed movie. It's only an hour and a half long, but it's basically Max finds this group of people. Max inevitably gets in a way to try to help them. And then these guys try to escape the road gang. And that's about, that's about all the story there is really much mayhem ensues along the way. Um, you want to talk about stunts, man, this movie's got stunts for days I and mean, there, there are stunts in here that still I'm amazed that the stunt people didn't die. You know, I mean, there's just some crazy yep. stuff happening, but, but for me, my moment of truth, in this movie, for me, it's a masterclass scene, which is basically Max has, Come across these guys. He try to break out of the out of the refinery. They didn't make it. He gets the survive. He gets one survivor. Brings him back. Tries to parley this guy for some some trade, and basically the people in the refinery aren't having it. Like you're a scavenger, get the hell out. But then what happens is Humongous's crew all shows up, right? And they barricade the whole thing, and this is when Humongous basically. Gives this monologue, this, which introduces him. Totally Doctor Doom stuff. Doctor Doom in a
2: chainmail loincloth. But, but yeah. like,
1: there are there are entire movies that deliver less like setting tonality and world building and villain establishment than this four minute scene does. Right? It's so freaking. It's no. It's just awesome. I just freaked so out. Awesome. It's, it, it's so awesome, it's but so it also awesome. it also establishes
3: <laughs> the crazy of this of this movie so well. And it makes me wonder wonder if we're all still thirteen at heart.
2: Right. It tells me he's like a bond (laughs) villain, but if you are a bondage villain, a
3: bondage villain, yeah.
1: Yeah. So Humongous is this completely jacked weightlifter guy with like this bizarre like hockey mask on him and a bondage leather harness. Okay. And, and clearly has had some sort of like, you know, massive burn to his head because with what you can see of him, he's completely, you know, messed up. But he speaks. Like he's running Spectre, you know, he and he's just, he shows up and and, and like <laughs> like running like, a like, well, yeah, yeah, running well, yeah, you know, like, like, who was this guy before civilization fell? You know, it's just it's amazing, and <laughs> there's just so much to unpack in the scene. So, so, he's got this guy, the toady, right, who's like his town crier, and he introduces him, he's like, Humongous, the Lord Humongous, the warrior of the wasteland, the Ayatollah a Rock and Roll, and then gives it over to the Humongous. <laughs> he gets on his tailor and he goes. I am gravely disappointed. Again, you have made me unleash my dogs of war. Look at what remains of your gallant scouts. Why? Because you're selfish. You hoard your gasoline, and you will not listen to reason. Now, my prisoners say you plan to take the gasoline out of the wasteland. You sent them out this morning to find a big rig, enough to haul that fat tank of gas. What a puny plan. Look around you. This is the valley of death. Humongous will not be defied. All right, so I'm just going to stop right there. One million points to Humongous using the word puny. That is a villain word if ever there was one. Yeah, it right? Really is. It's so great. And then what happens is this character named the Feral Kid who does what it says on the tin. Oh, I mean, he's it's also fer- a whole court. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> You know what? Like, but sorry. But, uh, but both work for the humongous, right? I mean, you know, you could totally see this guy just roiding out and just turning green and you know chucking rocks. So then the feral kid comes out, who's just this little animalistic dude uh, with a bladed boomerang, throws it at the humongous. He misses. The he goes to catches it. He goes to catch it, it's sacrifices weird. several of his fingers, right? And and, and, and you know, holding oh, his yes. his stumpy. Well, hand. first the
2: kid <laughs> kills like the the baby. No, no, no. Well, hey, the, no, the no, no, boy, no. boy, right? Yeah. So
1: what, so what happens? Is am is I, am he, I getting he, the sequence <laughs> wrong? You got the sequel from him because he throws okay. it and he misses and he loses his fingers and everybody's laughing at him. And the Toadie, you see this look on his face where he goes from anguish to like, oh, wait a minute, they're laughing at me. This is okay. Like, he at least is getting some acknowledgement from the gang, even though he's lost like most of his hand.
3: It reminds and, me of Wormtail.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, there's just this little moment like, you're like, wow, that tells you everything about the social dynamic in this gang of freaks, right? And he throws it back one more time. Whadda! And this one goes straight on and the humongous is second in command, is this mohawk freak named Wes, right? And then Wes, it <laughs> was ducks, guy. Yeah, yeah. Wes ducks and the boomerang whack and hits Wes's boyfriend, known as Golden Youth, right? Right in the head, whack. basically cuts his head almost in half, right? And he, he and he, he, he goes right down,
3: right? It's like, gee, Wes, if Lord of the Rings had been filled in 1979, he would have played an elf. <laughs> yeah yeah fair fair enough for sure
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah he, he would have yeah
3: absolutely he would have been um, he, 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 I, you know, I, I just love his character it, like he never says anything he's says anything was yeah, only there to die but he just looks beautiful and and, and rides on the back of <laughs>
1: Wes's bike and that and that's it you know you know but then wes freaks out and he, he's like that's it we go and we kill and humongous is like <laughs> this is humongous actually he grabs him and 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 he he's choking him out right it's a chokehold yeah it's a chokehold and he whispers Leaper in his ear hole. he's like he goes, "Be still, my dog of war. I understand your pain. We've all lost someone we love, but if we do it my way. Fear is our ally. The gasoline will be ours. Then you shall have your revenge." He's saying this as Wes is losing consciousness, and puts him out there. Like, all right, take him away,
3: and then yeah. continues
1: with this monologue. So not what you would expect from a ga- this kind of bad guy. Like, where's he? he's almost like he's from some other movie. But what other movie could he possibly be
2: from, right? It's but just then, so- like Bill, then he's like, "You have you have one full day."
1: and he goes away. Yeah, like, right? He's like, good time. Dang. Take your time. Well, so yeah, so, so he gives him this 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 offer. He's like, I have an honorable compromise. Just give me your pump, your oil. Basically, give me all your stuff, just walk away. Just walk away, which is which is a, a quote I've used in years past when I want to give somebody a false a false choice, like just walk away. Like it's not actually what he, he says it is. But he's like playing with these guys' heads. Like if you just walk away, and leave everything you own behind, we're not going to bother you any further. And the people who, you know, who Max is trying to help, they're so desperate. They're like, maybe, maybe he means it. And it's like, dude, he doesn't mean it. He's going to eat your bones the moment you walk out of there. He, he you know, just because he's eloquent doesn't mean he's honorable because he's telling Wes, like, we'll get the gas and then you can kill anybody for everybody you want. And it, it'll all be good, right? <laughs> you know, so much happens in that scene. I just, it's just like, when I think of the Mad Max sequence, that scene kind of puts it all together because it's like, Society has fallen, but you have guys like Humongous who are kind of recreating society by their own rules, and they're just completely, just insane and brutal. Given how many post-apocalypse movies Mad Max inspired, and how many just straight rip-offs of Mad Max we saw afterwards, right? The Road Warrior in particular, none of them ever came close to capturing, like, to bottling that lightning that you see in this. And this, these movies are on such a weird wavelength, and that scene to me just captures that wavelength so perfectly. And I just, I just love it. Like it's just, it's just so weird and so bonkers and it just says and does everything I love about this whole series of movies in, in four blessed freaky minutes. So I love that's that. my moment of truth from the road warrior
0: you wonder like as you encounter characters that are just weirder upon weirder upon weirder throughout these <laughs> series of movies like, yeah like what did these yeah. people do in the before times like yeah right. i, I, well, I think times. you know a lot, a lot of this sort of the horror <laughs> of it comes from like seeing you know people that like some of which are just you know they're they're cannon fodder but like there are some people who come out in these movies you're like this is like an intelligent person and look at how far they've fallen. Like everybody's freak yeah. flags are flying. Everybody's got all the piercings, you know, at some point somebody knocked over a sports authority or a Dick's sporting goods. Cause they've all got football pads are all wearing, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. But what it, guy's called the man eater. Nobody
0: cares anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you know, you start to wonder about like some of these characters, like what they were like before yeah. it all went down. <laughs> it's really
2: interesting. I, yeah. I will, I will say, you know, you know, to the point where when Lord humongous is doing his monologue and all of the you know theoretically good guys from the you know working at that oil field are wrapped uh our, our man Max is busily you know escaping from the handcuffs that he's been put in and is is positioning himself to become the the savior for this this group and everything and then you know afterwards he kind of like stands up and he's like yeah you know hey, listen, you can follow me and do my do it my way, or you can you know get
3: swallowed up and I'll be screwed. I'll track it for three thousand
2: and and like them well, and kill him for I, I will say this that like something was happening in the late 70s and early 80s where this like lone uber male Nietzschean savior yeah. the was Punisher something man. that we were craving, right? Like the Han Solo, yeah. Snake Pilsen, Mad Max, like we got a ton Ronald Reagan. We got a ton of this stuff in the late yeah. 70s and early 80s. We're like, oh, please send us the big Uber mail to, like, mm-hmm. just lead us in the right direction. And Mad Max leans heavily into whatever that societal zeitgeist was. And the the people at that oil pump are all like, oh, please. Oh, please. Just, you know, to the point where they're begging him Not to the drive warrior, the rig. Like- they're, right? <laughs>
1: Yeah, the warrior woman. You know where else you see her? By the way, you ever see the show *Farscape*? Mm-hmm.
3: No way. She oh was she
1: way. was that she was that she, she was that blue plant alien who was on the ship for a couple seasons. That was Warrior Woman from *Road Warrior*. Dang it! Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, Virginia Hay, I think her name is. Did yeah.
2: not and up. the feral child turned out to be jean-luc picard no, <laughs> no but but yeah but a joke.
1: absolutely nothing else i mean he was
0: you know <laughs> oh my god when it
2: uh, went on to fail eighth grade i feel I like understand. i
0: vaguely seen yeah. him in other movies
1: and i went and yeah. looked them up and like absolutely not you know that was it <laughs> yeah
2: the stop motion <laughs> boomerang is not available
1: yeah <laughs> it's just not there but, uh, you, know, you know, Joe, to your point, you wonder how they even got out there in the first place. They are not equipped. Like, y- you get the sense, like, they weren't equipped to be there before society fell. And now, like, like the society fell, like they are out of their depth. You know, all They're practically
3: ideas. astronauts, you know? Like, yeah,
1: yeah just right? like- <laughs> exactly. Like, they parachuted in from some other movie. And they're like, what are you doing here? Every time I watch The Road Warrior, I have to Google Papa Guy to make sure it's not Mick Jagger. I swear it's not <laughs> right. Jagger. I mean, every time, you know? Is that David Bowie? I don't think uh, so. Yeah, like, who is this guy? Eventually, Max has to help him out because these guys are never making it out on their own. Like, they're just... E- even if they had a rocket ship, they wouldn't make it out of their own. You know, They're just they're just so done for. He, that
2: guy with his weird little Da Vinci helicopter. Oh, the gyro captain. He was fantastic. Love him. <laughs> he, Jedediah, he, or whatever his yeah,
3: name is. Yeah. yeah. In the second... Yeah, well. Well, see... Yes and no.
2: Well, yes well, and no. Well,
1: well, that's the thing that... See, that's the thing with Miller is that with each... Successive installment in the series, and this is less so with Fury Road, because Fury Road takes some significant continuity issues that really make it it's feel thirty years later. It has to, like he's got his interceptor, like we know that blew up in Road Warrior, right? So right. why is it here again? Each of his of these successful movies, they almost feel like it's a sequel and it's a reboot at the same time, and like and Miller's willing to do, and he's willing to repeat and reiterate things again, and not really care. What it looked like the first time he did it, and you see that with you've got the the, the auto gyro pirate uh, pilot right in roadware, and you got Jedediah played by the same guy, but they're not the same character. It's not the same craft in in Thunderdome, and you're just like no, no, just 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 roll- is just
2: like, mind screwing us here, the whole
1: time. There, yeah. The War
3: Boys, the War Boys are all based on screw loose's character design from. Uh, Beyond Thunderdome, Remember Thunderdome, uh, yeah. You, you've got Dogs of War in 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 Road Warrior, War Dogs in Fury Road. The old lady in Mad Max is repeated in Fury Road. You've got yeah. you know a decoy oil oil tanker versus a hidden cargo oil tanker. Yeah. Jedediah versus the gyro captain. I suggest that maybe these are all just myths. Mm partaking things. of the true story of Matt. this is hercules that just is part of your, my you know,
1: moment
3: in truth. oh damn sorry yeah <laughs> we'll get there we'll get there we'll, <laughs> well, we'll, we'll back off with that but
1: but the, yeah but but the one thing i will say is that you see this in every single movie is that right before a a titanic head-on collision takes care of a real bad guy you always see his blink and you miss it super super close shot of somebody's eyes just bugging out of their skull like yeah! like it's almost like warner brothers
2: like yeah before they get well bill get you get to my my main observation about fury road is my god everything happens like right before bad news like like the number of like last second rescues and last second like somebody saves somebody else it's like oh man it's like the entire marvel universe boiled into about an hour
1: it's like a two-hour fury road i love it i think it's definitely the best made of all the movies but it's not necessarily my favorite of them i think i think from a technical standpoint it's virtuoso and it's it's the stunt work and the I effects and just the it's, it's just an astonishing well-made movie it is kind of like a two-hour cliffhanger and you kind of get exhausted by it sometimes but um but that can be a good thing i i know i certainly loved it when i saw it in the theater but but we'll get back to that later but yeah but the road warrior is um Oh, man, it just, for me, is my favorite of the series, um, in part because this is my first, this is the first one I saw. Um, Mad Max, by the way, wasn't available, really, until after The Road Warrior came out to most American audiences. Mad Max, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. What happened is, Mad Max came out, when it first came to, to the States, first of all, it had a complete overdub. So you couldn't even hear Mel Gibson's voice or somebody else's voice. And and they redid the dialogues had American slang in it instead of Australian slang. And it was like, ugh, people just couldn't stand it. Right. So it wasn't until after the road warrior really took off that they re released the original of Mad Max to American audiences. So for most Americans road warrior was the introduction to this whole thing. You didn't see Mad Max till well afterwards. Right. Um, And that's what it was for me. It was the introduction and this movie just like it landed with me like an asteroid amongst the dinosaurs. I was just not prepared for it and just capture my imagination would not let go. And, and I, I, saw so many post-apocalypse movies after this, but they were all just like chasing this, chasing this tiger of what the road
3: warrior was and did. We have talked about blood of heroes.
1: Ooh, this is true.
2: And, blood blood uh, of heroes. I
3: adore. Yes. What's his name was in it. Humongous the second command. Wes. He was in it. The guy from Weird science. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Wes was in
1: Blood of Heroes. Who was he in Blood of Heroes? Hey,
3: he was like some Lord Admiral. He was like some high up person you probably only ever saw in armor. What? <laughs> Wow! Now I do remember what
1: the guy who played was. He was also in Commando. He played he played the bad guy in Commando, which which is fantastic. We should do an episode on that sometime. I I adore that movie. As if we ever do like a <laughs> if we were do like a guilty pleasures part two, I will pick Commando because oh no, my we god. should do that.
3: We should do an eighties
1: action movie episode. Oh god, we should. So good, so good. Yeah, but movies like this will stand apart from it. I mean, like even though even though Joe mentioned like the, yeah, but like what's funny is that as much as this movie is a piece of 80s action iconography, it it doesn't really feel like what a lot of the other 80s action movies feel like. It, it's its own thing. It feels like it's its own wavelength. And I think in part because it's a very Australian, these are all very Australian movies and they have their own sensibilities and they just kind of yeah. have their own kind of visual language. But it's uh, this good stuff. Anyway, but we're going to move on to <laughs> its sequel, which is Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, which came out a few years later. I believe, Joe, that's when you picked. So talk us through your moment of truth and Mad Max beyond Thunderdome set, set the stage for when it occurs. And, and what is it about this particular movie that you, that you enjoy so much?
2: Beyond Thunderdome is 1985. So I'm 10. This is my Mad Max movie. And you're talking about mid eighties. Like this is the last gasp of the cold war. And you've got, you know, there's red Dawn and, and Rocky four and all this other stuff that's happening Thunderdome and inhabits that same ecosystem
3: the same pg-13 ecosystem yeah
2: the pg-13 yeah. post gremlins <laughs> uh post indiana jones of the temple of doom <laughs> ecosystem where you can yeah. get away with it but like for me uh, I, I remember being ensorcelled by this film and just and just watching it and being just sucked into this world that they created of this and again we, we've used the word post-apocalyptic many times to me, Beyond Thunderdome is the most post-apocalyptic of the films, where we imagine uh, a world and an economy that exists post uh, whatever we've done to ourselves. Right? I mean, this is like so Bartertown. Who runs Bartertown? Right? Like we find ourselves in Bartertown where they're raising pigs under the city and using the methane to produce electricity so that we can we can exist. Thunderdome itself is almost a character in this movie because it, 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 it inhabits the central pride of place where it's like, okay, y'all are going into Thunderdome now and there's chainsaws and axes. And, and you don't know placed. what the
3: rules are, but there are chainsaws <laughs> no and hammers. Yeah. <laughs> there are no rules. You're yeah. going in there and you're like, you know, bouncing Wait, around the bungee cords. On the what? Bungee
2: cords. <laughs> and for me and my friends, the phrase, two men enter, one man leave. <laughs> until the day they put us in the ground will be yep. part of our vernacular.
1: Well, absolutely, I don't want
2: to live in a world that does not have the phrase two men or one man. <laughs> yeah. And like, so like, I'm also a huge Tina Turner fan. Like Tina Turner like, is, I'm sorry, you could pick the top three like female vocalists. Tina Turner is a goddess in my world. And like, she like walked out there with a hundred pounds of chain mail and was like, yeah, bring it.
1: badass she was so badass in this movie
2: (laughs) she's running a city she's got got responsibilities she's trying to make the trains run on time and make sure she's got a lot to do and here comes mad max who in this movie (laughs) mad max does not care more than in any other movie he just doesn't care it's like he is literally like i want my car i want to be left alone i just want to get through this Later on, when he finds the like the the Lord of the Flies lost children, he doesn't care. Then, like he just like like Max is is a that's is a pedestrian nice. and a spectator in this film, and Auntie Entity. Which, by the way, I'm so jealous. I didn't create that name. What a beautiful and wonderful name in a
1: science fiction really film. in a franchise <laughs> chock full of fantastic
2: names. That's probably yes. the best. <laughs> it's right up there. It's it, it's right up there. She's just trying to make things work and as a as a municipal elected official i respect that so much <laughs> she's just trying to make things she happen. was not <laughs> elected joe <laughs>
3: you know, but you know what
2: but you know what she's trying to keep the lights on and i dig that about her and, and 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 she she brokers this relationship with max like okay this deal and then the deal goes sideways and the deal's back on like she is a, such a, a a practical creature in this film. And then you've got the whole Master Blaster thing, and there's just a lot happening in this film. The entire existence of Thunderdome is probably the reason we have MMA now, which may or may not be a good thing, but um, there you have it. So what's your moment of truth in this movie, Joe? My moment of truth is the phrase, Two men women one man leave. <laughs> when been, when you, you know. She like. There's a wonderful uh, Marvel comics when Storm becomes the the thunder goddess. Yeah, and she's wearing the Thor outfit. Yes, and like that's by the way, like that's very much the same. Great anti entity. Yeah, I outfit. know
1: exactly. What you, yes, it's like New Mutants annual, like number nine. Right, like you that. know what but, I'm yeah. talking about. It, yeah. I,
2: I, I, it's all the same. And she says, she turns and she's like. Two minutes to one man leave. And, and it's not it's not her dropping any order or reality. It's just her acknowledging that that's how the world works. Yeah, right. Yep. Two minutes to one
1: man leave. That's just how it is. Two men enter, one man leave is a phrase. I, I also quote it with regularity uh, as well as I quote who runs Bartertown?" I do. I quote that all the time to people who haven't even seen the movie. I don't care. It's up to them to figure it out. Um, but, but two men enter, one man leave, you can say it to somebody who hasn't seen Thunderdome and they get where you're coming from. They know what way. you mean. Like it's it's a yeah. elemental phrase.
2: <laughs> the beauty of who, the beauty of who run barter town. That's a power play. Right. <laughs> that's master blaster. Yeah. Like acknowledge me. Yeah. Acknowledge that I'm running the show here. You could take Who Run Bartertown and bring it into corporate life, political life, yeah. whatever. It's very much like acknowledge that I'm calling the shots.
0: Bill did bring it into corporate world. When I searched that phrase, my like fifth or sixth <laughs> search result, some article that Bill wrote back in 2011 for like a B2B <laughs> magazine, which I yes. think is hilarious.
3: Like, yeah, was, I, yes.
0: You and I are brothers. We have both written like B2B columns and like we'll work <laughs> cool sci-fi stuff in there all the time. Oh yeah. Just all because the time. we can.
1: <laughs> yeah, we run from town. Yeah, I remember that article actually. And I got a lot of I got a lot of mail from people. There were like three cohorts of people who got back to me on that one. One were the people who were like, "I don't understand what you're talking about and why are you wasting my time with this. What was what's wrong with you?" And then the other people who were like oh, my God, I can't believe you just dropped Thunderdome in an insurance article. Holy cow, you're my very favorite person. <laughs> and then there are other people who are like, nice drop, I disagree with your point. And I'm like, you know what? I kind of like you guys a lot. Like, you just, you get the reference, but you're still wanting to hang with me and argue. That, that's kind of cool, but yeah.
2: Max is a survivor, yeah. and he's almost like, it's like the Conan from the, Ho- from the Howard books. He just wants to move on to the next thing, and yeah. oh, my God, the attachments. But, but he
3: cannot leave, you know, women or children behind you know no. he gets, he gets held up that.
2: right yeah yes he gets stuck into the like oh which is yes, why i, I say he cares but
1: the thing i find neat about thunderdome is that when you look at all these from you know mad max's society teeters on the brink um road warrior society's collapsed. Thunderdome, it's it, we're starting to see society starting to come back a little bit with, with Bartertown. And then with Fury Road, we actually have multiple cities, right? But as we're seeing society come back, we're seeing it come back in the worst possible ways, you know? Yes. I uh, thought, thought that was kind of interesting. And it's kind of – it's the flip side of the whole post-apocalypse fantasy, right? And uh, and the fantasy of just, you know, being, being the survivor, you know? And, uh, you know, Joe – my favorite part of Thunderdome. In fact, it's my favorite line from the entire series. It's, it's in that great scene when, when Max is brought up to meet Anti Entity. And she's sort of explaining, like, you know, here's what we need you for. What we're going to do. There's, a, there's this audition. They try to kill him and he fights his way out. Like, fantastic. You made it. We can actually talk now. And she goes, and she goes, you know who I was? You know, you know talking about like who she was before, right? Well, I was like, who were these people before? She goes, she goes, you know who I was? Nobody, except on the day after. And I was still alive. Guess nobody had a chance to be somebody. Anyway, enough history. And, and but like that, it was like oh, that captures that captures like so much of why this whole genre works for people, and it, and Turner delivers it with such gravity. And like there's it, it's, it, it's, it's not hard. In, it, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's so well done. Like she aced so well, and she was like as much as I love the Humongous and Road Warrior, I love Entity in Thunderdome. She's a completely different kind of adversary, and she's so fantastic. And I just I just love what she did with that moment. It was just, oh man.
3: She's true Thanks. neutral. Not exactly a villain.
1: hundred <laughs> percent true neutral. Yeah. 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 I'd say, I say so,
3: you know, um, you, you know, you were talking about the, uh, who runs Barter Town moment. Uh, I, what I really think about that is, is that once Master Blaster or once, well, Master and Blaster have been separated. Master talks entirely differently. He's completely capable of you know forming normal sentences yeah. when he's talking to people he's doing that to be insulting i think he's just doing it to f with her Do you think he's doing it to mess with her or because
1: that's something he thinks blaster can kind of keep up with and understand
3: i don't know i, I don't know you're sure he feels like he has to address blaster yeah <laughs> he's like pipe down i'm talking yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair enough. Who run Barter Town?
1: And he turns on, on the hailer without her knowing it. She's like, yeah. master blaster. And she looks around like, oh no, he did this. No. And, and, and like, she still has to say it. She has to
2: say it. Like you, you can just see her <laughs> just up.
1: burning up. Like, oh man, like somebody's it's dying so hard She, for she this.
2: makes so many practical choices. Like she is such a practical leader. Yeah. And I love at the end, at the very end of this film, you got you get her walking away, being like, see you later. Yeah. It's all good. Aren't we a pair? We appear
1: you.
2: And <laughs> we're survivors.
1: A, yeah 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 no, she's right yeah yeah but but she respects him and and she could kill him but she doesn't she's like yeah why why and just takes off like i just i do love that it's a great she's it's a great so movie. awesome she really is truly really is awesome it's,
3: just, it's and, and, so and is that chain mail
1: oh the chain mail is fantastic and barter town is a set was super cool like like, like and it's not are, just a loincloth after thunderdome came out you saw a whole bunch of post-apocalypse movies that tried to replicate the whole Thunderdome scene. Right. And they just mm-hmm. couldn't do it. And like that scene when Max is first walking into Thunderdome, they set, so you're just seeing what's going on there. There's a guy getting tattooed, right? Like, whoa, they actually have a working tattoo gun, you know? So the guy's getting his head shaved, like they're actually doing hygiene, you know? Um, you No, know, there's all this, all this crazy stuff. Like somebody's got this big shepherd dog <laughs> dragging a cart, which like, it's weird. Yes. Guy's like, yeah. Oh, yeah, Irish no, cool. yeah. Yeah. It's like, cool clean water and, and max the geiger counter just goes off and goes yeah what's a little fallout eh? it's like it's, it's such looks- a star wars moment it, it really yeah oh. it, it, it's like most isolated it's like most isolated on methamphetamine right it's just like so like a fever dream version of that but it just it does so much to establish like all the freaks of this world come together in this one spot trying to make it happen again and it's just it's so bizarre it's just so
0: weird. It's not Burning Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's not Burning Man. Right? Exactly.
1: exactly. Exactly. So, uh, Joe, any last thoughts on Thunderdome before we move on?
2: I will just say that I love the um, the entire architecture of Thunderdome. I love that it's that up, upside-down wicker dome with the different uh, weapons and uh, the whole, like, the battle that takes place. Inside it's a, a, a great Bound. action
3: scene. A great scene. It's a great
2: action scene for 1985, right? Like, I mean, yeah. like it, it's it, you watch it now and it's dated because it's 1985, but the the bungee cord... They don't need
3: wires and, to do that now, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Like yeah. the whole bit, but it's all
2: practical. It's all practical effects. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, in a lot of ways, you know, you've got Mel Gibson here where he's like pivoting into being lethal weapon and everything else. He's becoming an action hero as opposed to being. What he's been in Mad Max and and Road Warrior, which right. is uh, more of a, a suspense like dramatic hero. Now yeah. he's becoming an action hero.
3: Yeah, an and, anti-hero and- who whose motivations you can try to understand.
2: But it, but 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 Chris, he's becoming like a combative, yeah, like physical. He's right, right, right. Speaker, I mean, Stallone, that, like, pri-
3: I mean that, that's the old Max. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, Joe. he's
2: becoming he's becoming like a guy whose motivations don't matter. It's the action that matters.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: And yeah. now this this moment in Thunderdome is where you that happens, where that pivot point. See, is.
3: I, I see it. I see it kind of the other way, Joe. Because this is you're right. This is where he's like a real action hero. Everything else is just basically him driving right in this one he's doing a lot of other stuff and it's it's where he's taking up for the most innocent people he ever sees you know it's the one where he actually does sacrifice himself at the end Like as far as we know it comes later he's gonna die and, right yeah. Yeah. right being a good guy is part of being an action hero yeah and, and Eventually, yeah. The, the, until before until then that that just was not max So, Tom,
1: what is is your moment of truth in all this? Because I know that, you know, I I never got a sense of what movie you wanted to to pull from. So what's your moment of truth in all all this Mad Max nonsense?
0: Oh, I will get there. Uh, Just give me a second. (laughs) Like, I wanted to say thanks to the three of you for helping me sort out my, you know, brain, which was basically Swiss cheese when it came to the Mad Max franchise like I like in my head I you know I had condensed Mad Max and the Road Warrior into one movie that was just the Road Warrior and like it was weird I was trying to sort it out in my own brain I'm like I know I saw Mad Max because I remember the scene with the you know the hand dangling from the chain you know around the back of the car, mm-hmm. which you know was covered in that little montage at the beginning, but like not really like not yeah. with the you know vivid that, that I, I sort of remember. So uh, like I know I had seen them one time, and I just attributed it to being this um, you know uh, this relic of the VHS era. Like maybe I saw things out of sequence, but like no, you know like it, like I had always thought that Mad Max was the prequel that came out later. And you know what? Like, <laughs> that's kind of what did kind of, happen for and American yeah. audiences. <laughs> yeah, I'm not misremembering. So I'm not crazy. So thank you very much.
1: You're quite <laughs> welcome. We're here to help.
0: <laughs> I mean, my moment of truth is in Thunderdome, which uh, is odd because the first time that I saw Thunderdome was on an eighth grade trip to Quebec City. So, uh, you know, they would they would take, you know, the kids who took Spanish got to go to Madrid. But, you know, we just got to drive up to uh, Quebec and, you know, hang out with the, you know, the French speaking people up there. So we ended up seeing <laughs> Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome in French. That was the first time I saw it, which was utterly hilarious
1: because Bonjour. Master Blaster
0: was just referred to as Boom. <laughs> That's the name of the okay.
2: Master Blaster, master <laughs> who runs oh, you know, town? need the dialogue, Boom. girl. you
0: only really need to... <laughs> Run <bar your>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, at the end of the.
0: You didn't need to follow the dialogue all that closely. Come on, let's be honest. But um...
1: oh man, <laughs> yeah. that's awesome! I want to see this version now.
3: I want to see it real bad.
0: <laughs> I want to find it. You know, dubbed over in French. Yeah, oh, dude. You,
3: I'm sure. I'm sure you can actually find that that subtitle complex like you saw the no the we didn't Robin even town. see it with
0: subtitles it was just dubbed Still. over in
3: French <laughs> <of> up- then. <laughs> yeah. yes. and then mm. we had to
0: try to figure out you know like based on our 8th grade you know like they were speaking way too fast for us we're just like you know what yeah. shut our brains off and just watch this thing it's hilarious anyway um no better i better without the dialogue then go and see it in english Obviously. but um it, I, you know I, I think that's probably responsible for part of the swiss cheese in my brain about mad max but anyway my my moment of truth is and it, I, I hope this sets off a ton of controversy because um right. you know we we've talked a bit about how you know max doesn't really give an F, and you know, that that's part of the appeal of his character. It's, you know, he's just, he's fallen so far, but you know, there's gotta be a redemption arc for him and where I think that starts coming to us and we see, uh, you know, it's just sort of like Han Solo moment, if you will, where, you know, we realize it's not just about the money or walking away with the gasoline or the camels or whatever else that he does <laughs> kind of care It's the scene in Thunderdome when, you know, the master blaster or blaster's helmet is knocked away. And, you know, he he flashes a grin at Mad Max, who then refuses to kill him and says it's not part of the deal. And, you know, the whole deal goes sideways. But like there is a moment of recognition there. okay, where Max looks at blaster lying on the ground. I'm going to submit, at least this is the way that it is in my head canon, and I do not care if you present arguments otherwise, but I think Blaster is Benno from the original movie. And it's just a baby. <laughs> you know, like it. like, I think the recognition of somebody that he saw from the before times maybe was the thing that set him back on the right path. I want to say that that's it. I looked it up online. Evidently, you know, like I'm in the 10% that think it's still a possibility, but there is controversy. <laughs> yeah. I do not see it resolved anywhere. I, even if it is resolved somewhere, that's what's going in my head canon. Tom, I'm, I'm with
2: you. Here. I'm with you. Cause the old lady, the old lady says, Oh, he's just a baby. And then like, what does master say? Oh, he's just a baby. You like the like, mind like, of a the, child.
1: The, yeah. The, yeah. the,
2: the yeah. language yeah. matches up. Well, it. you know
1: what? I, I, and I, I really, Tom, I know you want some controversy, but I tell you, I really hate harshing on people's headcanon because usually it's better than the real thing. And especially since in prepping for tonight's episode, I saw some delightful headcanon that Humongous is really Fifi from Mad from Mad Max. Aha! Right? And I'm like, oh, that's too good to I want, let go. I
2: want him to be, to right? be John from Fury Road. I, I want Humongous, who we don't really ever see die in yeah. uh, Road Warrior. I want yeah. him to be... Well,
1: well, Apparently, in, in an early draft of the Road Warrior, not to take the show backwards, but like uh, Goose was supposed to be humongous, like Goose was supposed yeah. to have survived, uh-huh. and then it, 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 wow. but they, they wisely got rid of that. Um, but I like the idea of Fifi being humongous. But the important thing is Blaster being Benno, I, you know what, Tom, you came here looking for a fight, and I think it's ironic. No fight here. That- yeah i yeah, think it's ironic in a conversation Chris about i'm going to not get a fight out of anybody
0: finger, he's going to go after me yeah.
3: no i'm not no i'm not <laughs> i I'm, I'm going to provide you some additional evidence oh in, you're awesome <laughs> in, in oh, fury road he's on board in fury road we also have the 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 little person character his name is corpus colossus which is at once it's a it's a play on words it's yeah you know, the that corpus. That little, like baby it's son? a big body big body and big mind yeah so he's master and blaster and blaster so I'm saying? And sort of uh, yeah, my name curious. so that's gotta be on purpose Most i was curious
1: i always had a hard time imagining like i guess when i first saw it my thought was that blaster didn't just have the mind of a child he actually was a child like a severely developmentally challenged child but just because we're in we're in basically like early gamma world, you know, <laughs> Mad Max, he, he, you know, you know, he's got this gigantism. And so, and so he can just, you know, he, he's got the, the strength of 10 men, but he's still like a child with, you know, some form of like, you know, Down syndrome or something like that. And, and we're just not really quite sure what it, what it is. Um, but, but I have to ask Tom in your head canon, if you're going to make Benno and Blaster the same, is it Benno as we saw him in Mad Max or has something else happened to him? To to oh, to, to transform to and then paint, the, paint.
0: yeah, I like leaving that nice and you know open as far as you know. It's right. like one of those Japanese paintings where they leave a lot of open space,
1: so you're pouring <laughs> and in the the piece. That's where the good piece stuff piece happens in <laughs> the undiscovered country. Yeah, okay. I will I get say it. that
2: I watched all four of these movies in rapid succession this past week in preparation for this Need broadcast, and to me, it's almost axiomatic that Benno is blaster. Like I, I watched it, and when I watched that helmet come off him on the ground, I'm like, "Oh, look! It's that, you know, yeah. it's that goofy bastard from the first movie." Like it, it, it was, it was, <laughs> it was right there. Like I couldn't not see it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm with you 100%. Tom,
0: awesome. We're together on this. I love it.
2: Head
3: cannon for the win. <laughs> but it really, it really is interesting the way these movies just mix and match tropes and actors. I mean. Yeah. So many people repeated and and yeah. it does really give me the sense that it's, it's more of like a mythology than a set of, uh, than a narrative.
2: Well, you know, no, and, and, and. Also a fluid narrative. But,
1: but, but Chris, I mean, that's the first time I've ever thought about it like that. And I think yours is a really interesting concept because at the end of both the road warrior and Thunderdome, we have the, the events kind of being narrated by third parties who are trying to explain like mm-hmm. to other people, yeah, we went through this thing and this guy came and helped us and here's where we are now cuz he got involved. Yeah. And so we're seeing this body of stories coming up from this guy named Max who somehow is cutting his own path through the wasteland. So it's like it it makes a lot of sense. Like I just thought it was Miller just likes to reuse the same things or basically he just likes he likes certain things and, you know, and, and just re- repurposes them, mm-hmm. but this puts a lot more structure to it and makes it a lot more deliberate and you know, it makes me really
3: reevaluate some of what I've seen in these movies. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome is my probably my least favorite Mad Max movie in retrospect, but the tell scene where where Savannah Nix is 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 telling the, the 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 lost children story. I mean, that clearly yeah. the lost boys there. Uh, it, it's it's the most spellbinding thing in the entire series. It it the is before time. It's magical and yeah. yeah, you really know, cool. when they they were yeah. doing the membrane. It, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, it, it it's just and it's magical, it and, and and it it, it, yeah. it I think it yeah. does a kind of suggest yeah. what you're saying about Miller yeah. Bill that that, yeah. that that it's all entirely purposeful.
2: To me, this this plays a lot, and I've I said this before. It plays like Conan, it plays like others, where it's like mm-hmm. these are a disjointed narrative of stories that could happen before, after, concurrently, yeah. and it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's not it's not important the sequentiality of it. It's important that this is a character who yeah. overarches all of the stories that are being <laughs> you know, told about the or character. an archetype I, I, I in think,
3: his
1: own right. I think this is just, yes, sir. I think this is just unlock something for me that explains like a, a, a thing I had with Fury Road, which again I I deeply, deeply love. We don't get that narration at the end of Mad Max, but we get at the beginning of Road Warrior, right? Kind of explains, you know, who Max is. And that could be that could be the story of like, did you guys hear about this guy, Max Rockatansky? Like, seriously, this guy went off the deep end. What happened? You know, and like, and even though that's a narration given by the feral kid, it still has a sense of like, this could be a story that could just been told like elsewhere in that town. Like, you know, once the whole scene cleans up. But in Fury Road, we don't get that sense of narration about Max. Max shows up and we never get the sense that somebody else is telling a story about it all. And it, we kind of get away from this so much action. There's nobody chronicling anything. It's all so in the moment. And I think it, that kind of feels a little, that that's one of the ways which it feels a little different from the other movies, I guess. Um, I, I, Cause there are things about the movie. Yeah. Like it's not that I dislike it. Just like there are times when it just feels not of a piece, the way that the other three movies all feel very much of a piece. And, and part of it is just because they're made close together in time. So, you know, Miller's on this kind of wavelength and, Thirty years, man. I don't care who you are. You put something down for thirty years, come back to it. You're not the same person. <laughs> so the movie, whenever you pick up that story again, it's gonna feel different. And Fury Road does films talk. Yeah, Fury does feel different. You know, I, I will say we're kind of kind of winding on time. I do want to do a quick thunder round on Fury Road though, just just and just just see what everybody like what their favorite part of the movie was because it is a great film. And I'll just love to guess sense like what what your what your 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 key moment from that was. Chris, you want to start with, with with your favorite part of Fury Road? Yeah, it's it's the reveal of the
3: wives. Max is catching up to the the tanker that that Furiosa has stopped in the desert. They're all wearing these like gauzy strips of cloth, and uh, you know they're 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 very scantily clad. It's a very it's very lovely imagery from that standpoint, I guess. But what's so great about it is that it's the exact opposite of every costuming clue we've ever had in the series you Seriously. know it, yeah. it, it, it's per- the it, it, first time we see linen of any kind yeah you yeah.
1: not gonna survive the
0: apocalypse period
3: <laughs> yeah and it's such a striking image I, you know yeah. it, it's just neat loved it yeah tom how about you what's your favorite part from fury road
0: uh, watching uh, Charlize Theron's character kick the crap out of Max, which is great. I love that <laughs> fight scene. I love everything a about scene. it. great yeah. scene. It's such a terrific scene. There was a lot of tension, a lot of like back and forth, yeah. like seesawing. Yeah. It just like, I, and I'm on the edge of my seat the entire time. I, I loved it. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Joe, what's your favorite part of Fury Road?
2: When Max is coming back uh, after uh, he 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 waxes some of the pursuit, and he's trying to rinse off, and there he's like, "Is this water?" And like, yeah, oh, that's, mother's, that's, that's mother's milk. And there, 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 there's there's so much um, iconography to Fury yeah. Road. Like there, there there's a lot of yeah. allegory. There's a lot of yeah. symbolism to it. And that point where he is as the masculine. Icon is bathing in mother's milk. There's a lot of torch passing that happens from the super uber masculine to the feminine that happens there. And, and yeah. he's cool with it. Like yeah. he, he yeah. allows it. He's like, yep, cool. Got it. I'm bathing in mother's milk. Cool. It's all you. It's your story. And I found that to be in a movie that is really sometimes overripe with symbolism and tries a, a, just a touch too hard at times. Yeah, that that yeah. landed to me as a moment where they got it right.
3: Yeah, and
2: allowed the symbolism to work without being too on the nose.
3: Yeah, you know what I loved about about that was that it made it clear that it was it was a triangle trade: bullets, gasoline, and mother's milk. Yep. Yeah, and, no,
2: and you know, Chris,
3: there's that's F you know, man. <laughs> There's there's a lot <laughs> yeah. for that movie that yeah. I find,
2: um, you know, there, there's some challenges and like you know why are these guys who live in the desert so muscular and all, eh, mother's milk is a big part of it and like there's a there's a robust trade in mother's milk beyond just nursing the children and like yeah. you know it's like it's like the doth rocky right in a lot right. of ways like they're yeah um yeah. and like look i uh, that movie to me is From the, the most <laughs> it's the most over the top of the four Yo, by and far. it's the yeah. most like indulgently action-oriented And that's fine. It's totally cool. I get it. And in a lot of ways, it's the organic growth of the series. Every installment is more over-the-top action-oriented than the one before. So yeah, if you let it steep for 30 years, you're going to get Fury Road, which is basically just like this orgy of action nonstop, right? Well, well, Aren't
3: we so glad we did not get like 15 of these things, like Fast and the Furious? Truth. right? Well, first of all, I agree. I, I think having
1: sat through four iterations between Thunderdome and Fury Road would have been like just diminishing return. I've never
2: that. watched any of the Fast and Furious movies because, like, I'm not a gearhead. But, but look, I, I will say about Fury Road, it is an absolute spectacle. Like, yeah, <laughs> watching that movie, like I'm still having seizures after having watched that movie. Like it's it's one of those things that just like makes your brain stop functioning and seize up. <laughs> And and it's just it's just brilliantly yeah. visually represented. I have some questions about some of the the narrative to it and some of the the back, but that almost doesn't matter. That's almost secondary to yeah. the the
3: spectacle to which you're, uh, yeah. to which you're that, exposed. I would say that applies to all these movies. Yeah.
1: <laughs> for for me, in Fury Road. I remember when I was watching it and that first half hour segment where it kind of kicks off like right off the bat. And I and just have with, to pee right <laughs> it just you know that the first 30 minute segment ends with you know the you know you know Nux and, and Max's car you know crashing the sandstorm like it's just so non-stop I mean, like when I saw it in the theater everybody in the theater collectively exhaled after it happened like everybody's holding their breath for <laughs> all this time and that was a pretty cool moment but I'd say, <laughs> no doubt. I'd say I'd say my my favorite moment in Fury Road though is this little moment where Nux has like fallen off he's like falling off the car like a couple different times and keeps rejoining the chase and finally he gets he gets back he hooks up and connects with the morton joe and morton joe he hands him like his prize revolver to get on the cut you know to, you know to, you know to get in the car and and, and, to kill for yourself. and he goes giving goes right and he goes taking off and like 10 seconds later foxes jump and drops this prize revolver and morton joe just goes Morton Joe looks at it, and he goes, Ugh.
2: mediocre,
1: and just moves mediocre. on. Mediocre. Right? I laugh <laughs> I so- I say hard. that
2: to my kids all the I time. I say all
1: the time, I go, mediocre. People know what I'm talking about. But it just made me laugh so hard, because it's also like, that's a very George Miller, Mad Max thing. Like, we see all these little action sequences that we think are going to go one way, and he just subverts it, just because, just for the sake of subverting it. And I just love that he does that. You know, Even in, even in Fury Road, which is a very straightforward action movie, and just goes for just- lots of octane lots of mayhem lots of bullets lots of everything he still is willing to stop and kind of reverse the flow of action for a second and just to switch things up just just because i just love that he was willing to, to do that <laughs> i really really do it just he didn't have to he could have just got caught up with this with this whole movie but he didn't and i just i, I love that yeah. well, look before we go uh yeah i'd like to share a final thought perhaps one of the reasons why the original three Mad Max movies work so well as a unit is because collectively they speak to the moment in which they were made. As fretting over social disintegration gave way to full-bore post-apocalypse nightmare, Mad Max, The Road Warrior, and Beyond Thunderdome all spoke to a present fear, that the only thing worse than dying instantly in nuclear Armageddon would be to survive it. And yet, as we hear in Beyond Thunderdome, when everybody's dead, whoever's left has a chance to reestablish themselves. And this is a theme in both art and history. I mean, You know, after the Black Death decimated Western Europe in the 14th century, the survivors who filled the vacancies left behind by the dead rewrote their entire social order along the way. What nobody likes to admit out loud is that in every catastrophe, no matter how severe, somebody ends up better off because of it. The grim truth of post-apocalypse storytelling acknowledges this, and it indulges our fantasy to simply reboot everything we know in life and try again, presumably with results that we'd be happy with. This is why disaster stories and apocalypse stories remain so popular, even when very real disasters exist among us. So to that point, in 2020, there was a poll in the UK that showed that more than two-thirds of people surveyed were watching post-apocalypse movies during the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic. And a lot of them were even watching movies where the end of the world came about because of plague, things like 12 Monkeys and 28 Mm -hmm. Days Later. And while it might be, it that might seem weird, even masochistic, to engage in such art while you're suffering in real time, the data kind of proves otherwise. Psychologists have noticed that one of the reasons why we enjoy post-apocalypse movies is because the narrative certainty that not everyone in the story is going to die, and that somehow good will prevail, offers us a much-needed way to control our anxiety over scenarios that, you know, on an individual here. level, just we really have no way of controlling. His thoughts. So as the COVID pandemic heads into lovely, its third so year, Russia's voice, war in Ukraine raises it. the old specter of nuclear Bill holocaust once again, while the data on climate change which which gets really progressively more depressing with each passing year. The entire None of that makes for a particularly encouraging send-off this episode. But if there's one thing that Mad Max and all of the great stories it has inspired tells us, it's that the only thing more powerful than our tendency to destroy ourselves is our drive to survive, to rebuild that which is worth preserving, and to protect that which is worth protecting. And there's some comfort to be had in that. And I think perhaps if we permit it, a little hope. This has been Moments of Truth. On behalf of myself, Tom, Chris, and Joe, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Moments of Truth is hosted by Bill Coffin, Chris Crenshaw, Tom Hespos, and Joe Pace. This podcast is edited by Derek Eisenhart. For more Moments of Truth, be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts or visit us at www.momentsoftruth.show. And before you go, please check out Joe's award-winning, best-selling novel, Moss, described by Kirkus Reviews as, quote, an excellent and thoughtful exploration of art, ambition, and mortality, as the illegitimate son of a literary giant deals with love, loss, and the struggle to find himself. Order Moss today through Amazon.com or your local bookseller.